Welcome to the Hatch and Curiosity podcast, where homeschooling families cultivate innovation through curiosity, creativity, and critical thinking. I'm your host, Christina Hatch. I love this time of year. Not so much the melt-off, but the anticipation for spring. This episode is packed with ideas for nature study, both in early and late spring, a nature study challenge, and touches on the value of gardening and handicrafts. Now, I'm not going to lie. I teach classes about nature study throughout the year, and even I get a little burnt out and can find myself in a funk. The last part of winter this year, I just wasn't able to pull it together. After a couple of trips to the lake, though, I found myself restored and ready to dive back into nature study. Where I'm at in southeastern Idaho, it is brown and melting. Everyone is loving the extra sun, but not quite seeing the blossoms so characteristic of the long-awaited spring. If you look closely, though, you'll start to see the first hints peeking out from under the old growth. This is the joy of nature study this time of year. It is the perfect season for tracking changes over time. One of the projects my family is working on this year is tracking changes in our apple tree. Our Honeycrisp apples only come on once every other year, and with this being an apple year, I've decided to have my kids track the trees from the dormant winter state through the blossoms, growth, harvesting of apples, and fall. Right now, they're making their initial observations. Last week, we investigated the branches to see if we could find the first buds of the year. Since then, Papa has pruned the trees and the buds have appeared, so we will mark those down in our nature journal tomorrow or whenever it isn't hailing. What happened to out like a lamb? To track things over time, you'll want to take a page in your nature journal and divide it into sections. In mine, I have it divided into five sections, but you can divide yours however long you want to track something. In each section, you'll write a date or time of observations and jot down notes or sketches of what you want to see. Some great subjects for this type of study is adopting a tree and watching it through the seasons, where you title the sections winter, spring, summer, and fall. You can watch a caterpillar change into a chrysalis and then a butterfly, labeling your sections in weeks, days, or even hours. You can sketch a praying mantis walking and write how many seconds each step takes. It is great for observing changes over time, measuring growth, or tracking the evolution of plant or animals throughout their life cycle. Now is the time to get in your initial observations as everything comes back to life. You will be surprised at how quickly things change when you're looking closely. It is exponential, a term we are all too familiar with right now. Looking out your window, it looks like breakup season for so long, and then almost overnight, it's spring. Tracking it now will help hone observational skills. The kids are eager to look for any sign of spring and will notice the smallest changes that inch towards it. This will help them pull out details in later observations and in other circumstances. Another investigation we've done is going on a hunt for the first signs of spring. The kids loved seeing the green grass start to poke through the brown, the daffodils climbing out of the flower beds, the onions growing in the garden, and the spiders skitter across the sidewalk. With a new variety of birds showing up at the feeder daily, it's fun to let them loose, pointing out the signs as you find them. Or, for a little more direction, you can even turn it into a scavenger hunt after brainstorming signs of spring together beforehand. Taking before and after pictures of different buds to see what the leaves look like after they fully bloomed is a fun experiment. Or graphing when different plants flower or fruit is another one for the more analytical or older child. By doing nature study starting in early spring, you'll notice things that you can't in the full splendor of summer. For example, this is a great time of year to find bird's nests. They're more exposed in the sparse branches and are often in the process of returning to their summer range and building nests for the upcoming season. 
If you track species of birds or flowers you see month to month, it's exciting to see new varieties show up this month. You can mark them down in the calendar of first, which is essentially a page with a month at the top where you write down the first time you see something that year as you come across it. The first finch, the first bloom in your garden, the first ripe berry or frost later in the year. Having this record makes it easy to compare patterns year over year and fun to look back on previous years to see what you can expect this upcoming month. As spring progresses, you'll be able to find tadpoles in the water, tiny grasshoppers in the grass, and my absolute favorite bug, butterflies. I fully recognize that these things happen in different paces depending on your local biome. But in the high mountain desert, spring is the best time to see butterflies because everything dries out by summer and they become sparser. This is a great time to find mosses and ferns. If you live near a farm, the farm animals will have just had or will be having their babies soon. Talking about life cycles and rebirth is a beautiful way to introduce nature study during the Easter season if you celebrate it. And nature journals are a fun addition to the baskets. For gear, I suggest having galoshes or rain boots, a rain jacket, and light gloves. In my mind, temperatures are ideal in the afternoon, hanging around the 50s here, but I've always preferred cooler weather. You don't need to be as concerned with sun exposure or biting insects, but be aware that everything is much soppier and colder the further into the outdoors you get, with snow melting off the mountains and filling up the marshlands. This isn't the best season for making observations in the field, but is great for memory work by recording what you've observed while out when you get home. A portable microscope, butterfly net for catch and release, and nature journal are other helpful tools. A portable microscope, butterfly net for catch and release, and nature journals are other helpful tools. A list of where you can find these resources can be found in my show notes at hatchingcuriosity.com. It's fun to see what has changed over the last season. In our latest hike this afternoon, we went on a little reconnaissance mission to see how long until our favorite trails would be ready. We were met with two feet of snow in some areas, and the largest tree at the head of the trail was toppled during the winter. It was fun to speculate on what could have caused it, and to notice all the changes to our most familiar landscape. This is the time to prepare the ground for planting. Dig a little deeper to learn about the layers of soil, how to keep soil healthy, worms, composting, and other things like that. As you plant your garden, you can measure plants' growth, notice the effects of weather on their growth, and perform other botany experiments. Honestly, I think keeping a garden is second only to reading books for your kids as far as the many benefits it offers for their education. Food is life. Understanding where it comes from is foundational to them having a healthy relationship with their food. A study at Cornell University shows that kids are five times more likely to eat their vegetables that they grew themselves than the ones that they were simply served. Gardening is a full sensory experience that boosts the immune system and contains natural antidepressants. It is a humming ecosystem with many interactions at play that serve as natural parables for life lessons. As they develop their motor skills, they will also develop their character, learning patience, perseverance, coping with disappointment, work ethic, and the satisfaction that comes from the harvest principle. Additionally, it is more great and constructive outdoor time, family bonding time, and opens the door to scientific inquiry. I promise that the skills learned during their experience of keeping a garden, regardless of the size, will never go wasted. This is one of the most popular times to nature study as everyone is excited to get out of the house and eager to see the signs of warmer weather teeming with life. If you don't find much on your first few visits out, don't get discouraged. You're still getting fresh air and building the habit. Perhaps you can return to some of the suggestions in episode 5, Nature Study Beyond the Journal, where I give tips for nature study during the winter. Charlotte Mason famously said, Never be with indoors when you can rightly be without. Take some of your other studies outside to see where it leads. Today, when we were listening to Story of the World, they mentioned that people that they were talking about lived 9,000 years ago. 
This led us to taking out the base 10 blocks and reviewing what 9,000 looks like. It was a natural flow from one subject into the other, history into math. On our way home from our hike, we saw a rabbit hopping up the side of the mountain. It was honestly the cutest thing I have seen since sea otters and I'm still gushing. I was shocked to see it leap four feet at a time. That bunny had some hustle. This led to a discussion on Peter Rabbit and a snuggled up story time when we got home. Nature study into literature. When you open yourself up to experience nature and stay curious, you'll be surprised at the rabbit holes of discovery it takes you down. There may not be much we can do to connect with others in person during this prolonged quarantine, but it hasn't stunted our ability to connect with nature and our little ones. So being the eternally obnoxious optimist that I am, I say, let's seize the day for what it is. Let's not let this opportunity we have for connection pass us by. With baseball, co-op, church, and playdates canceled, I found myself with a lot more time in my schedule. But what am I doing with it? It's tempting to fall into the holiday habit of entertainment and rest, but what if instead I allowed the stillness to come into my home? More quiet time for reflection. More time for watercolor, to bake bread from scratch, to read the story three times instead of once to my three-year-old. Quality leisure, when properly ordered, with work, is even more restorative than rest. I'll say that again. Quality leisure, when properly ordered with work, is even more restorative than rest. Confession. I have somewhat of an addictive personality. I can't quite stop my Pepsi habit and get sucked into Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest for longer than I care to admit. For a while, I found myself with a lot of free time that was spent on my phone. I like to pretend that the articles I'm reading were filling my mind with useful information, yet I slowly started to get depressed, was always tired, and overwhelmed. When I picked up the habit of painting, something inside me came alive. I was creating something with my hands, refining a skill and recognizing beauty. It took concentration and led to immense satisfaction when I was able to get the effect that I was hoping for. I felt more rested and alert after an hour of painting than I did after a two-hour nap. I started to recognize this in others, too. My friends that have a hobby seem more at rest and have better concentration. When my kids are bored and choose to create something or work on a skill, they will stay occupied for hours and keep their minds humming with curiosity when they're done. Versus when they choose simple entertainment and then complain that they're bored. This is why I think the Charlotte Mason, Waldorf, and Montessori education models are so big on handicrafts. Yes, the motor skills and talents developed are good in and of themselves, but the sense of accomplishment, focus, and drive it takes to develop those skills have their own added value. You can get the benefits of quality leisure in many ways, from origami to sculpting, piano to leatherwork, and even a great book club. But one of the ways built into nature study is drawing and brush drawing, which is essentially dry brush watercolor. As we find ourselves with a little more time, I encourage you to spend a little bit more time on your written and drawn observations to develop those hand skills that can lead to a lifelong satisfaction found in the hobby. Imagine how much more we will notice in our springtime nature study by looking closer and more frequently, by taking the time to get more detailed observations. So that is my challenge to you. I want you to set a date, time, and location for nature study this week. Write it down in your calendar with an alarm on your phone if you need it. Gear up the kids and go. Then take your time recording your observations. Perhaps you'll adopt a tree to observe through the seasons or find another subject to observe over time. 
Then set a time to do it next week and build the habit of quiet reflection as you savor the subtle flow into spring. If you're looking for easy start nature journals with some of the suggestions from this podcast built into them all ready to go, you can find them at hatchingcuriosity.com slash nature study. As always, until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.